Bibles this evening, if you would please, James chapter 4. We've got to have tenors. You have to have tenors and baritones. Not every guy can be a bass. I always wanted to be a tenor. I'd hear the high tenors sing in some of the quartet songs. I always wanted to be a tenor. And then I think I got a little embarrassed about that and started trying to make my voice a bass. And I remember my, my dad, after I'd done that for quite some time, he said, we were riding in the car one day, and, and uh, I was trying to hit those bass notes. And I could a little bit at that time, but um, I remember him saying something like, Son, it, you, can, you can be whatever you, you want to be when you sing. You don't have to be a bass. You can sing a tenor. I think he knew I, I, I probably wasn't much of a bass, and he was trying to very kindly tell me that. And so then I just decided to embrace it, I guess. But not everybody can be a bass, right, Brother Jonathan? Yeah. God makes us all however he wants us, so. But we all want what we don't have. Well, maybe we all don't, but most humans do. People that have straight hair want curly hair. People that have curly hair want straight hair. People that don't have hair want hair. Um, <laughs> but I, I, think, I think some guys look great bald. You know? I mean, it just fits them. You know? Like Brother Elisha, it's not, bad. it's not bad. I've seen you with hair, and I've seen you, and I prefer you this way. So, I don't, I don't know, but... Um, But anyway, that came out kind of weird, didn't it? <laughs> Maybe I should stop that part and just get into the preaching. James chapter 4, and let's pick it up in verse number 13. James chapter 4 and verse number 13. I did this in Sunday school this morning, and as I was thinking and praying about what the Lord would have us to do, I could not get some of these things off my mind. I believe it's what He would have us to do. Let's all stand to our feet in honor of the Word of God, if you would please. We've been studying through the book of James in Sunday school and, and just happened into these texts this morning as we've gone line through line, verse by verse through these chapters. And I'm not uh, often repeating things that have been preached earlier in the day. If you were in Sunday school and, and heard this, uh, if you already got some things settled in your heart and Got it all taken care of. You can take your shoes off, kick back, and just, you know, I don't know, watch YouTube. Um, but if you didn't get things right with the Lord and God spoke to you, then you can probably tune in again. Um, but hopefully everybody else will also get something if, uh, if it be of Him. The Bible says in verse 13, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Go to now, ye rich men, weep, and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. Crieth, and he goes on and speaks 
to the rich men. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please speak to our hearts this evening and guide me, direct me, help me to, to preach your word the way that you desire. And help me not to get in the way, please. I pray that you'd anoint this service with power from on high. And guide and direct my thoughts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. In the book of James, if you've not been in Sunday school class, um, I'll introduce it a little bit, just very briefly here. But in the first chapter, he, the Holy Spirit inspires him to, to say these words. The book is written to what the Bible calls the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, there's some debate on who that might be, the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. We clearly know the 12 tribes are the children of Israel. There's no question about that. But is this more a figurative reference, some would say, to the idea that we have all been grafted into the family of God through the seed of Abraham by faith as Abraham had faith? Is it in reference to all of us? Is it in reference to the Jewish people that were scattered abroad as the book of Acts says that they were when they came to Christ in belief while the other Jews persecuted them and scattered them? The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that there was a great persecution about the church in those days and they were scattered abroad. So I lean that way. I happen to believe that who is being spoken to, it's probably uh, in context of who was in that day scattered abroad, it would have been the Jewish people that had put their trust in Christ and in the book of Acts, they were scattered out from Jerusalem. So uh, the, the, the church is kind of all gathered together there in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost and great works are being done, but then because there's a great persecution arising uh, of the church, they are scattered abroad. And the Bible says they go everywhere teaching and preaching and they're literally running for their lives. This isn't the type of scattering that happens when people get mad at the preacher at church and they go to another church. It's not that kind of scattering. It's kind of scattering where somebody is preaching the gospel and their life is literally in jeopardy because of it. The kind of thing that was taking place when Stephen was stoned. That's the kind of persecution that was taking place when the church was scattered abroad. So this book is written, it seems anyway, to those people that are scattered abroad because of their faith. They've, they've believed in Jesus, they're preaching the Word of God, and their lives are literally in jeopardy over it. And that's a lot of, by the way, the New Testament Christians. And so, as the book is laid out here, God deals with a few things in the first chapter concerning their faith and, and concerning trials and temptations is what He calls them, but the meaning of that would have been the trials of their faith, which is referenced in the first four or five verses of the chapter. Then, He talks about their need to grow according to the Word of God during their trials at the end of the first chapter. Then he gets into the second chapter and he begins to deal with their behavior towards one another as a sign of pure religion. He closes the first chapter out by saying pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. He said this is pure religion. To, to be considerate of others, that's pure religion. To be considerate of others that have great need. And then as he gets into chapter 2, which would not have been chapter 2 when it was written, it all would have been one letter written together. So as we get into chapter 2, then we see that he begins to address that point. He talks to them in chapter 2 about the fact that if, if, if you have or show preference 
towards certain people in your church because they come in in their good clothing and they have goodly raiment and they have, a, uh, they have rings and they have, they have sh- signs of wealth. And you say to the man that has signs of wealth, why don't you sit over here in the good seat? But then you say to a man who comes into your, uh, into your church in vile raiment, you say to him, now go over and sit here under my footstool. He says, then are, 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 have you not become judges of yourselves? And, and he says, aren't you now showing preference? And, and he says that that is something that God's people ought not to do. And then in the second half of chapter 2, he begins to discuss how that uh, we can say that we have faith, but it ought to be proven by our works. Justified. In other words, you say you have faith, but is it justified by your actions? Then in chapter 3, he begins to talk about our tongues, how we treat each other with our mouths, uh, how, how we address each other in those manners. In chapter 4, then he begins, uh, and by the way, chapter 3 is a heavy chapter. And then, because we're all guilty of it. He says, in many things we offend all. All of us. All of us offend each other with these things, even when we're not trying. And he says, we do it in many things. And then we get, it in, get into chapter 4, and then he begins to address some different things. He says, you're fighting and warring in your churches. You're fighting and warring in your Christian assemblies because of the lusts that are in your hearts. You lust after worldly things and it puts you at enmity with God. And you think that you're going to ask God for worldly things, but it will make you an adulterer or an adulteress against Him. And I'm not going to give it to you. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Then we get into the end of chapter 4, and he starts talking to them about their riches and about their behavior and their attitude. And he says in verse number 13, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and what? Buy and sell and what? And get gain. I want you to notice in the beginning of verse number 13, he says, Go to now, ye that say. He directly addresses our pride concerning our belief that we have more time. Go to now ye that say. And y'all, we, myself included, can all be guilty at times of saying, I've got plenty of time to take care of this. And he says, one of the things that you're doing is you are so focused on your gains. You're so focused on your wealth. He says that they are saying, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. He says you're so, you're so focused on those things which you're going to transact in business, you're missing some other things. That, that I believe is the context of this passage. He says that we should not be so proud as to think that t- t- tomorrow may come. Look at Proverbs chapter 27, would you please? And let's look at at a passage there, something that will be familiar to everybody. Proverbs chapter 27, and look at verse number 1. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You see the boastful heart of man? We think we've got more time. And in some ways we become proud in the fact that we believe that because things are in order and things are working out right now that everything will continue that way. And he says, don't be boastful of tomorrow. 
For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. When that reference is made, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth, it's largely saying, don't boast yourself about tomorrow because you don't know what's going to happen today. Don't know. I mentioned this this morning, and I don't say it to hurt anybody, but all right, I don't think I'm supposed to say it. We have to be careful thinking and boasting about what we will do tomorrow. Now this is all leading to something. Sometimes we can get lulled to sleep because things are going well. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Isaiah. This is a little bit of a Bible study because of uh, the fact that it was a Bible study to begin with. Maybe a little bit different from Sunday night, but I want you to see it here in Isaiah chapter number 56. Now you need to understand the con text of what God is saying to His people in Isaiah 56. Israel had gone astray from Him and so many times He sent prophets to try to get their attention. Sometimes they would listen, but when you get to the, get to the books of uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, for the most part, they are not listening anymore. They are asleep at the wheel. And I want you to see it in verse number 10. Did I say verse number 11? Look at verse number 10. God is trying to get His people's attention and He's speaking to them about the fact that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. But they don't see it. And He says His watchmen are blind. What is a watchman? A watchman is a man that is at the top of the wall of the cities in those days. He was there to try to foresee the danger before it came. He was supposed to be watching for an army that was trying to... Um, that was coming against the city. He was there to watch for dangers. He's the watchman. They would take shifts, the first watch of the night, second watch of the night, third watch of the night. They would watch for the city. They were there to warn the people. He's speaking to them in literal and in figurative terms. He's saying, look, you should be aware of what's coming, but you're asleep. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all... What's this word here? Dumb dogs. That's strong language. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. He says, y'all are sleeping because you think everything is okay. And you're not watching for what is coming. He says, I've been warning you. I've been trying to get your attention, but you're not listening. Verse number 11, Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his gain from his quarter. He says, you're all a bunch of greedy dogs. Look, y'all, sometimes we think that preachers aren't supposed to be bold and not supposed to say mean things. God is literally calling His people greedy. He's calling them names. He's saying, think about a dog in, in, in the streets or a dog in the field when it's hungry and carnivorous and it's... It's going after something and they fight with each other and they're greedy because they all are trying to fight for the same thing. He said, that's how you're acting. They are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. 
They all look to their own way. What, what is a shepherd that, that cannot understand? The shepherd is supposed to watch over the flock and know when danger is coming and try to protect the sheep from the danger of the wolf or from the danger of the bear or the lion as David did in his day. They're supposed to be watching, but instead he's telling them, look, you're like shepherds that are asleep and you're not paying attention. And he says, you're not able to understand what's happening. And they all look to their own way. He says, your head is down and it's so focused on your own gain. You're looking for your own good. This is my way in life. This is what I need to get. This is what I need to go after. He says, you're so concerned about your own self and your own life and your own gain that everyone is constantly concerned about his own way and his own quarter. In other words, he said, you're not lifting up your eyes and looking at the big picture. And y'all, we can all be guilty sometimes of only looking at what we can get out of life instead of lifting up our eyes and seeing the big picture of what's really going on. And he says in verse number 12, Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day, and what? And much more abundant. So he says, look, you're living in prosperity, and you keep saying to yourself, tomorrow we'll go, just like in the book of James, we'll go and buy and sell and we'll do that a year from now and nothing's ever going to change. And he says, it, it, you're saying tomorrow shall be as this day. And matter of fact, tomorrow's going to be even better than this day. We're going to prosper even more. We're going to be even in more abundance. They're just lost in the fact that they're prosperous. This is one of the greatest misunderstandings of American Christianity. I believe that God blesses His people, and, and, and I am not saying that He doesn't. Um, God says, give and it shall be given unto you. And, 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 and I believe that that's talking about how you give to the needy, maybe as much if not more than talking about how you give to the Lord, but there's also no question that if you give to the Lord, that He'll give back unto you. Uh, it says, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I, I, when I think about that, I think about, uh, I used to and still do kind of picture the idea of packing like brown sugar into a measuring cup. Any of you ladies do that when you bake? you got to pack that brown sugar down. And sometimes the, the recipe calls for that, right? And... Nothing packs quite like brown sugar. When I was a little kid, I used to love to, when my mom was baking, I used to love to run into the, uh, the kitchen and watch her bake. And if she started to, start to get the brown sugar out in a measuring cup out, I used to love to help her because I thought it was so fun how it would all squeeze in a measuring cup. And then she'd turn it up like that and maybe tap, tap it with a spoon or tap it with the back of her hand and it'd all come out in a clump. <laughs> I just loved that. I just thought that was great. Still kind of do, actually, um, if you can't tell. Nothing else does that. Flour doesn't do that. White granulated sugar doesn't. Brown sugar does that. And it's, just, it's just all in a big bunch, and it's just so fun. But that's essentially what God is saying. He says, give, and it shall be given unto you like that. I'll put it in the measuring cup. I'll press it down. I'll pack it in. I'll shake it together, and then I'll make sure it's running over. That's how God gives back. There's no question that God gives to us and that He loves to bless His people. But, please hear me, just because your life is blessed does not mean things are okay. 
And this is one of the greatest troubles that American Christianity has. We think sometimes because we've got a house and it's doing well and our car is running and our clothes are doing well and our shoes aren't wearing out that everything is okay. And sometimes we even like to use things like we say, well, you know, remember when God was taking care of the children of Israel in, their wilderness, in the wilderness, their shoes didn't wear out. And that's true. God took care of His people in the wilderness. Their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. That's amazing. And I've even heard it preached, and I've heard preachers preach, that I believe if you'll tithe and, and do what is right with your money, that God will take care of those things, and He'll make things last longer. And I believe that happens. I've seen it. I've watched when I stopped tithing, things start breaking down, and I can't catch up, and all my shoes get holes in them, and I'm spilling food all over my shirts, and I can't, I can't stay up with stuff. But then when I'm giving to the Lord, it's amazing how long shoes last. I'm serious. I think, it, I think it's true. But we also forget that God is so gracious and God is so loving that their shoes were not wearing out in the wilderness, but they were in the wilderness because they were under God's judgment. Think about that. And sometimes we think everything's going to be alright because I've got my job, finances are still good, or maybe they're not, but... Things aren't wearing out. You know, things are lasting and God is blessing me so that means God is happy with me. That's exactly what the children of Israel were saying in Isaiah 56. They were looking at all their wealth and their gains and they were saying, hey, tomorrow will be more abundant than it is today. And God's saying, listen to me, it's coming and you're not paying attention. You think because you're prosperous that you're okay. Let's, let's turn our Bibles over, if we could please, to Revelation chapter 3. And I want us to see it here. Revelation chapter 3. And let's look at it in verse number 13. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 13. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He's telling them, listen to the Spirit of God now. This is the Spirit of God saying this. This isn't just the words of John. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Are we listening? I believe God blesses His people. But sometimes we look at things the wrong way and we think just because things are going well financially or just because we're prosperous or just because things are abundant, that that also means that everything is okay spiritually. And he says to the church of Laodicea, because thou sayest in verse number 17, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and what? And naked. He's not talking about literally naked. He's saying spiritually, figuratively. 
Right? He's saying, look, you might have all your clothes, you might have all your possessions, that all might be great, but you don't even know where you are spiritually because you're using that as an excuse to say, well, my life is blessed, so everything must be okay. Hello? So, he pleads with his people, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be what? Rich. He says, look, you're not rich. You think you're rich because you have physical wealth. But he said the reality is you're only rich when you have the spiritual things. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. What's the white raiment that thou mayest be clothed all about? Remember, he told them spiritually that they are naked, right? So when he says white raiment, he's saying, take on you a life of righteousness and clothe yourselves for Pete's sake. In other words, he's saying, live for me, do what is right, and stop living in sin. If there is anything that will cause a church to begin to live in apathy and not be on fire to do the work of the Lord anymore and not be zealous unto good works it is when we look at our lives and think that everything is okay because we have plenty. So it must be from God. And if it's from God, that means that He's pleased with me and everything is okay. But there are times when God tries to get His people's attention and says, do not look at your wealth. Now, Luke chapter number 12, the Lord gives us a little parable, a little story about a rich man that had a very prosperous harvest, right? And he essentially said, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with all this. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll build myself some barns and I'll put it all in store. And, and you know what? It's been so good. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go and live my life from this day forward in ease. And I'm not going to worry about anything. And I'm just going to enjoy the fruits of my labor. And God says, I, you know, I guess I should have just read it. Yeah. Look at Luke chapter number 12. And look at verse number 17. Luke chapter number 12 and look at verse number 17. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast made much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. It's a strong term, isn't it? Well, what if the preacher stood up and looked at a congregation and said, you bunch of fools. He'd probably be ready to vote me out next Sunday. God uses strong language every now and then to get His people's attention. He's not always just, oh, it's okay, bless your heart. Every now and then He gets serious. He says, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? <laughs> I mentioned this this morning. Uh, 
Ben mentioned this last Sunday night. You live your life trying to, to make gains and, and, and then you die and somebody else buys all of it. So what was it all worth? You gave your life to it and now somebody else owns it. What does it all matter? Now let's go back to the book of James and let's see where he's going with this. Verse number 13 again, James chapter 4. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas, you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. And it doesn't matter how long it is. If you live to be 90-something years old, it doesn't, it'll be like this. That's our life. It feels so long right now, but in the end, it'll be. It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that, ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord will, I'll have gain. But if it's not His will, so be it. See, in the beginning of this chapter, he says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? He says, you go out there and try to make yourself a friend of the world and run after the world's gains and you want your house, you want your land, you want your car, you want your money, you want your clothes, you want all of that stuff and you're living for those things and you make yourself a friend of the world and you don't care one iota about doing my will. And we try to paint it up and say, but I'm in God's will because I'll, I'll go to church. I'll, 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 I'll read my Bible every now and then. But, but if we're honest with ourselves, we know that what we're really pursuing is this. We know that what we're really pursuing is going after a house or a lifestyle or something that makes us personally happy. He says, look, instead of saying, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Instead of that, say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord will, I'll get gain. If the Lord wills, I'll have a house. If the Lord wills, I'll have a car. But you know what? If He doesn't, so be it. I don't need all of that. I just need the Lord. He says in verse number 16, but now you rejoice in your what? Boastings? Does that sound familiar like Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 1? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We boast, we get proud in our hearts and think, I've got plenty of time. Let me just live for myself for a little while and go and gain some wealth and, and, and do my own thing and not worry about the will of God. But then he says in verse number 17, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Now we love to take that verse out and, and use it all by itself, but it's in context of the passage. And what is being said in the passage, God is saying to His people, now listen, please hear me, because this, this, this is the meat of it all. This is, what, this is what it's leading to. He says, look, 
you're, you're making yourself a friend of the world and going after all the things that make you commit spiritual adultery against me. And he says, the truth is, you ask for something. Lord, please, give me such and such. Give me, give me this. Give me that. Lord, would you please? It sure would make me happy. And the truth is, I believe God wants to give His people plenty of things, and I believe He wants to bless us. But he says in the beginning of chapter 4, I know that if I were to give you what you're asking for, you're asking amiss because your heart is not right. And if I gave it to you, it would cause you to commit spiritual adultery against me and you'd live more for it than you would for me and you would live more for that car or for that house or for that land or for those clothes or for that hobby or for that job if I truly answered that prayer and gave it to you you couldn't handle it you'd walk away from me God knows our heart and He knows when we're able to take things and when we're not truth is God knows my heart and He knows there are some things I probably just can't have he knows you too. Amen. Truly, the people that are able to be the most prosperous in lives are the ones that don't care about being prosperous. Not in physical terms. Not in financial terms. If you want God to bless you with it, it's usually the people that can say, take it or leave it, like Job. Hello? But if you go after it, watch Him take it from you. Because He will bring you to a point where He is all that you have because you are His. You belong to Him. We're bought with a price. He will not let us have things that will make us spiritual adulterers and turn our back on following Him to go after it. That's strong terminology, but that's what your Bible says. Go study it and read it for yourself now. He says, so... Instead of following after all of those things, instead of, instead of asking me for things that you're asking for amiss in your heart because you want to consume it upon your lusts, instead of that, how about this? Instead of boasting yourself and saying, I've got tomorrow to do good. I've got tomorrow to live for God. Instead of all of that, why don't you throw it all out the window and say this, today is the day that I had to serve Christ. And I will use my life to do it. Today is the day that God has given me and it belongs to Him. This is the day the Lord hath made. I didn't make it. I didn't give myself this life. I didn't give myself this house, these possessions. You say, well, I, I earned it. I went out and worked for it. No, no, no. No, no. Do you remember what God told His people right before they went into the promised land? He said, when you get there and I give you all the things that I promised, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get there and you're going to start living in all the blessings and you're going to forget it came from me. And you're going to say, look what my hands have done. And he says, I can't stand for that. And what I'll do is I'll shut the heavens that it not rain. And I'll prove to you again that it all comes from me. He says, you're about to go take possession of lands that you did not till, houses that you did not build, cities that you did not wall. They're going to be yours because I gave them to you. You didn't do it. That's the Christian life. If God can trust you with a business, He gives you a business. But don't let your heart wander after those things because God will take it away from you faster than He gave it to you. And by the way, it's amazing how long He'll let you go in it before He finally just yanks the rug. 
Just like he did in Isaiah 56, he, said, he kept telling them, your watchman's not on the wall anymore. I keep telling you, I keep trying to get your attention, but you're not listening. Your prosperity doesn't mean I'm on your side right now. You need to get right. That's what he was saying. So, what should we be doing? Only one life. will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Won't be long before this life is done. And what if my, my life ends tomorrow? Or tonight when I lay my head on my pillow and I never get to see my sweet children or my lovely life on this side of, of, of heaven again. Will I have spent my last day living for things that just won't matter? It just won't matter. Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I tell you these things not to be a stumbling block to you. I'm paraphrasing. He says, but I tell you these things that you may wait upon the Lord without distraction. What was he telling him? He said, go read 1 Corinthians 7, the last, the last half or so of that chapter. Well, let's read it together and I'll close with it, I think. I did say I think. I was I was kind of trying to get you to laugh, but I guess the moment was too serious. First Corinthians chapter seven, let's look at it. In verse number twenty nine. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. Verse 29 of chapter 7, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. That house won't matter if you get it, but you don't live for God. That car won't matter if you get it, but you don't live for God. That job won't matter. That wealth won't matter. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. He's just saying, look, there comes a time when even if you're married and enjoying marriage, there should be a time that you, you understand how short the time is and you just you go out and serve God and, and live for Him and, and act like you don't even have a marriage because the time is short and people are dying and going to hell. Verse number 30, And they that weep as though they that wept not, he says, if you're caught up in mourning and weeping, I, I, I need you to shake yourself out of it and stop weeping and serve God. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. He says, if you're caught up in rejoicing because your life is so good, I need you to stop rejoicing for a little while and go and serve God. And they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world passeth away. 
It'll all burn with a fervent heat. It'll all come to naught. Doesn't matter what tires and wheels you have on your truck, it'll be gone one day. I'm not saying you can't have them. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can't live for these things. Only what's done for Christ will last. And then look at verse number 35. And this, he goes on about marriage and so on and how it can be a distraction from serving God. That was, that was Paul's heart. I mean, he essentially says, I wish all of you could remain single like me so you could go and serve God with all of your life and all of your heart. That's what he says in the beginning of chapter 7. He says, I wish you could remain as I am. I wish you could just be single and dedicate your life to serving God because it is worth it. He says, but it is better to marry than to burn. And God did ordain marriage. He's not saying we shouldn't marry. He's just saying how important it is to understand the shortness of time and how great the need is. Then he says in verse number 35, And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Do you see that? Does everybody see it? Do you see it in the end of verse 35? And that you may what? Attend upon the Lord without what? What's he talking about? He's saying, and that you would be able to serve me without any distraction. You know, sometimes, well, no, I don't think I'm supposed to say that. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. While you have time to do the things that God has told you to do, what has God called you to do? What has He told you to do? There are some things that we're all called to do, like to be witnesses, like to be a preacher of the gospel. We're all called to do that. But what area of service have you let go in your life that you used to serve in, but you've let it go because of distractions of the world? Huh? What things did you used to attend that you don't anymore? What things were you more dedicated to at one point that you're not anymore? What things have been left to slip because we've become consumed with the wrong things and distracted by the wrong things? While it is today, Live for God with all of your heart and all of your life. That doesn't mean everybody in this room needs to surrender to the mission field and run out and go and maybe you do. Maybe God's called you to that and you've been putting it off because you'd rather be a doctor or a mechanic. I don't know. Surrender to God's will. But for many, what it means is that you ought to be serving God in your church and reaching your region with everything you've got. For most people, that is the context of this passage. He's talking to the church and he's saying, where you are, serve God with all of your heart and give your life to Him. And while it is today, do good. Because if you know to do something good, but instead you dedicate your life to making a friendship with the world and, and running after the things of the world, and you knew there were some good things you should be doing, but you didn't, that's a sin. That's a sin. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him 
it is sin. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please help us. Help us to be submissive to your Holy Spirit and to hear the words that you would have us to hear.